0: What's going on, everybody? This is Matt Rinky, the founder of Illumination Wealth. I am very excited because I have a good friend of mine on the show who is an entrepreneur through and through. Uh, Dan Fetter, he is the founder of FNF Property Management. He cut his entrepreneurial chops at USC in the entrepreneurial program, started a business after that, which he eventually sold, and then parlayed that into Uh, multi-family investment real estate firm. So very excited to have Dan here. He'll give us great insight into the real estate market and uh, his entrepreneurial endeavors. So Dan, welcome. Thanks for uh, being a part of it.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Tell me, you know, just so people can understand a little bit more about your background, you know, so you had a company prior to this that you sold, you know, many years ago and you got into real estate. Can you tell me a little bit about your real estate firm and why you settled on, you know, multifamily and apartments?
1: Sure. So the, the last business I had was a um, equipment leasing and finance business in our niche and it's a small niche, but in our niche nationally, we were the largest in the country and, it was what it was. One of those businesses when things were good, you do great. But when things are bad, you you get your business gets hurt badly. And I just said to myself, "Hey, let me ride this out through the financial crisis," which I did. And then, as the company started to grow, I was able to sell it, and I I did fine with it. And I was looking for. I didn't want to not. Be engaged and use my brain. And I just, I was too young. Um, You know, I was in my 30s at the time. And I just said, you know, I got to be involved in something that's going to be, that has, that's a steady eddy type of a business and that I don't think will get outsourced and also will provide steady eddy types of cash flows and has an opportunity to be a, a very good business long term. As an example, I did a lot of research, I looked at a lot of different things. Um, and I do other things besides just uh, being a housing provider. We do other real estate investments and uh, development, but that's our primary. And I wanted to, I, I did research and I, what I learned was the most generous donors charity wise all almost always have something in common. And when I say the most generous, the most generous consistently, because to me being charitable with your time or with resources in terms of money It's all nice and great, but those people who do it consistently, they've got things figured out. And what I learned was the people in the multifamily sector, they are the most generous on a consistent basis throughout. And I said, wow, that's what a great business. That if you can afford to be generous consistently, it must be a great business and gives you an opportunity to have a really incredible life. And and that's what I loved about it.
0: That's
1: amazing. Yeah, it was great.
0: Uh, I mean, I love that, like modeling success. And I think there's so many examples exactly. of it. You figured that yeah. this was about, you know, kind of being a servant leader, philanthropic, and this was seeing who are the common threads doing it consistently yeah. And, yeah. You know, your career into that. So uh, that's incredible. That's incredible. Thank you.
1: Thank you. So, um, yeah, what do you want me to tell you about FNF?
0: Yeah, so I guess, you know, broadly speaking, you know, you're, a lot of your apartment communities, you're in California, Southern California, you know, what was recently you know, enacted was rent control and it's happening throughout the country as well. And so for apartment investors and owners, there's rent control. There was also potentially a lot of money and higher valuations or, you know, like in, in the sector, making perhaps opportunities less scarce and less desirable as an investor. But now we have this new crisis uh, in place. And I don't know if it's too soon to tell, but what has been the effects on, you know, the California multifamily market based on the current, you know, coronavirus and COVID-19 uh, for apartment owners?
1: So that's a, it's a great question. Um, I think, I think you, the way I think about it is you, you I'm going to start off by saying this, I'm closing on a portfolio in North County of San Diego next month. And it's something that I was working on since last year. Yep. Um, I made a commitment. And I'm going to stick to my commitment because I'm a long-term investor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in so I'm going to break this up in a couple of different parts because I think there's a lot more going on here in the industry than most people actually realize. So when rent control got put into place, to me that was a very clear sign there was going to be more regulation that comes to play. Mm-hmm. And so what I did, because we're an owner-operator, um, I put in place uh, my team and I. And we use outside consultants because the industry as a whole is behind most other industries by several decades.
0: Mm.
1: And it doesn't matter how big the companies are. Yes, they're super smart. Yes. They're super sophisticated, but many of them don't have exposure to outside industries and I have an exposure to an outside industry. Mm. So we put in place, once rent control got put in place, it became very clear to me. It was already a penny business. It became even more clear to me that it's going to continue to be a penny business and to expect the unexpected. Hmm. I didn't know what that meant, but what what I did was I, my team and I put in place, we put metrics, key performance indicators. Hmm. We started tracking all the workflows, the software provider that we use. We are nationally, we, in terms of units, not in portfolio value, but in terms of units, we're their smallest customer in terms of units that upgrade that we took, and that upgrade only provides about 60% of the data that you actually need. So then I went out and I found a buddy of mine who's been a buddy since, gosh, since we were 15 years old, and he's a problem solver, a very sophisticated problem solver. And so I said, listen, can you do me a favor? Can you go out and can you help me solve? Here's what I need. I need this kind of data, this kind of data, this kind of data. It's not available in the industry. Sure. And what is available in the industry, frankly, is only get you 60% of the way there. And I need to create dashboards and I want to create incentives for our team to have certain levels of performance and that you hit every single part of the business that deals with the customer that you're you're measuring how we're doing. Customer service, uh, satisfaction, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, the numbers and to get us streamlined and efficient. So we went out and we used uh, – so what we did was we went out and we, start, and we went out to the World Wide Web and we found a number of independent uh, developers throughout the world, Uh, for example, in uh, the former USSR, in Calcutta, India, that do a lot of work for a lot of these big tech companies, and they helped us build with our direction, the algorithms that give us the data that we need, and then that feeds into, from our software system that we use, our platform, into um, into our dashboards that tell us where we're at, every minute of every day. Think of it in this, think of it like if you were walking into a tech company and you know exactly what's going on per, per second, yep. that's what we provided to our team because I, I'm a big believer And if you give people information, they're gonna be able to effectuate change. Now, because we did that and our team is super motivated, because we did that, um, we started to perform and we were already performing well, we started to perform even better and better and better and better. That, so that's, that's one thing that I think everybody has to be doing going forward. And I think it's going to be a while before people realize it potentially or not sure what to do. Anybody actually wants to know how to do it, call me and I'll be happy to explain it. Um, but the, so that's a big part. You have to run the business based on 2020 going forward, not based on 1990 and behind. Okay. That's number one. Right. And that's just taking business practices and applying to our industry. So that's the first thing that we did. The next thing um, on a go for on a go forward basis for us is, There has been the first three weeks of COVID-19 coming out once the state was shut, there's been three levels of regulation against our industry. Hmm. And they're talking about a fourth, potentially a fifth and potentially a sixth. So it's going to be what, what's going on is it's actually really sad. And with good intentions, many of the policymakers are not looking at the big picture. And not really understanding what those policies actually mean. I think that's most of the policymakers. I will say some of the policymakers, in my opinion, don't care. Even if you educate them, even if you give them facts, even if you give them all the stuff, because that's what everybody says, oh, you just have to educate. I'm telling you, we're educating. And it's not just us. There's many of the industries doing it. Many people in the industry are doing it. Some of the policymakers have, have a particular agenda, and it's not positive. And by the way, it's not going to be good for the residents either, and it's not going to be good for the job market. It's just, right. not, it's just not smart policy, and there's a better way. Okay. Um, but as an example, locally, the City Council of San Diego first tried to impose, in an emergency session, six-month um, eviction moratorium. Now, eviction is a really ugly word, but I think what a lot of people fail to realize is you only, as a, as a housing provider, you evict when you have to. If you have a customer who has a problem, pre-COVID, they're still our customer. Like They're a customer. We don't need to be beat over the head with policy bats to tell us to do certain things. And if we are going to be beat over the head, at least have it be balanced. So there was an eviction moratorium that the city council, uh, some of the city council members tried to pass and it actually failed. And then it got watered down, which was positive. Um, And again, we should break up the eviction moratorium into two things. One is people who are People who have real issues that you have to help—that's just what you do as a human being. The next is you also have to um, you also have to separate that there are people out there who will take advantage of a system. That's just unfortunately that's the reality, and so we as housing providers don't have the typical uh, framework of options to deal with an issue. For example, it, it was just terrible policy that was frankly that was passed. So that was one. Next is The governor came out two days later, put on additional um, language that's not beneficial. And then after that, the state state courts came out and put on additional language. Now there's there's a new policy that was initially introduced in February of 2019 by Assemblyman Ting. He took it and he used the old adage of never let a good crisis go to waste. He does it off the shelf because it it failed the last time and he's trying to push forward. um, It's called AB 828. So 14 months later, he crossed out a couple lines, gave it a new title. What it is, it says automatically any housing provider that owns 10 units or more is automatically going to have to reduce rents by 25%. Now I'm going to tell you that would, so let me, let's talk about what that actually means financially. Financially, that means that two-thirds of all the properties in San Diego, which is probably a representative number throughout California, two, two-thirds of the properties in, Cal- in San Diego are 10 units or greater. It's ma and pas. It's people who are retired fire people, retired police officers, retired sheriffs, retired postal workers, small business owners, you name it across the board, it's the, the group of people who work their whole lives, save their money and use this as one of their retirement vehicles. They're not going to be able to afford to do that. Right. And what's going to happen? And, and they have their own bills. For yeah. example, they take care of their own family. They have employees that they employ. So if this thing were to pass, it would, my, my, my guess is it would probably devastate the majority of the industry throughout California. So think about that. It, it would reduce. So first off, most people would lose the properties right there's only there was a national housing association came out with a survey which i could send you just came out the other day nine cents of every rent dollar goes to the housing provider so if you reduce the rents by 25 percent, and by the way it's for an entire year oh,
0: all the bottom month yeah
1: they're they're out of business almost all of them and then right. what happens and then think about this so the people who are pushing this initiative and and i would say to you that uh ting worked for Arthur Anderson, then he worked for C.B. Richard Ellis, and he was appointed by Gavin Newsom to be the tax assessor for City of San Francisco. This is a very educated individual. He knows exactly what he's doing. This is not that he needs to be educated. He is educated. He's choosing to to push an initiative for, I I don't understand, it's a short-term thing. It's like a bodybuilder who uses steroids. Eventually, it's gonna come back to bite you. What's gonna happen is, you're gonna have a tremendous amount of financial pain. You're gonna have people who are gonna need government help. They, they're gonna lose their properties. Yep. The tenants, our customers, are not gonna be able to get the service for us to provide you know, safe environments for them. We can't deal, currently, we can't deal with people who are, being, who are really misbehaving in a, in a very effective way. Uh, we can and we will, but it's really hard. Yep. Um, and what's gonna happen is the ecosystem, and housing is a major part, major component in, in the California, the ecosystem is is going to be damaged probably for decades because what happens is people the banks know what the policies are that are in place and specifically the one that's being proposed they naturally have to pull back because they have to they have a fiduciary responsibility to protect their their um, stockholders and sometimes people go oh it's just these big fat cats and I sit and I think to myself I say you know if you have a retirement account with CalPERS or any of these others, you're an investor in all of these financial institutions. You need them to be successful. Yeah. You need them to weather the storm. So they're gonna pull, they're already pulling back, okay? If they're not gonna even, if they don't, and they may leave the market, so that means there's no liquidity. That means there's no, and the local banks, the minority banks, the community banks, there'll be no money for housing. Hmm. There'll be no money for commercial property. There'll be no, no money for residential homes. There'll be no money for condos. There'll be no money for cars. There'll be no money for anything why because the government if they pass this they're they're taking uh it seems to me and the advice i've been given is they're taking the path of a taking which is unconstitutional so i want you to think about that for a second and i'm hearing that from very sophisticated attorneys yeah. so what that tells me is they know what they're doing and they're still pushing forward on it now that doesn't mean the policy makers are going to approve it there's a lot of real good common sense balanced policy makers who i I would like to believe will do the right thing because if they really do care about housing, the last thing you want to do is destroy a market because think about it. Thousands of jobs are going to be lost. People are going to lose their property, their savings, they're going to, their retirement accounts. Again, two thirds of the properties in California, specifically San Diego are owned by small housing providers, small, small, small business people. Okay. So you can destroy them. You're, they're going to lose tremendously. The employees are going to get laid off. They're not gonna be able to find new work because there's no money to pay them. And the banks are gonna pull back. Let's keep going here. Now all of a sudden, properties are sold based on cash flows, multiples of cash flow. Well, if you reduce the cash flow by 25% out of the gates, what's gonna happen? Revenue from the the local, the state, everything, sorry, is gonna get reduced 25% plus. So now we have a bigger problem. And now all of a sudden, then the government's going to, the, feder- the, city, the city, the state is going to have less tax money. They're going to have to furlough and let go of people. It just seems so counterproductive. And worst of all, our, our customers, our residents will not be able to be serviced. And that is just, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah. And we've been providing this data and I'm, I'm not going to go into who, but I could tell you some of the people, the moderate side who use common sense, they get it. Some of the others, there is a specific agenda because I can't come up with any other reason as to why someone would do those things. It makes no sense whatsoever. And then think about this. Why, why would someone build, uh, by the way, new construction has worse margins than what I said. Yep. What, what do you think? You think someone's gonna make an investment in California? They, no the state of California, if they approve this, the state of California is basically saying contracts are no longer, are no longer legal. Right. So the, all of a sudden there goes the rule of law and there won't be invest, future investments made and the city and the state is gonna suffer terribly. And just, I, I'm just really surprised by the tact that some people are taking that particularly in this time of need, it's really sad. Um, To see it, it it bugs me, but I think it's important as an investor to understand the landscape. Long term, I think it's going to be fine, but I don't know how long term that is. And I I think I think it's a really relevant thing that people have to be considering when they're making real estate investments. You have to understand that you're not dealing with you. Not only are you dealing with an economic environment, COVID 19, from a health pandemic, but from a financial pandemic crisis. You're now dealing with government regulation being layered on top of that in a very specific way. And in the housing providers case, there's no other industry that I am aware of that's had this happen. Mm. So I sit there and I go, very, very interesting. I sure hope that the people, our elected leaders, will start to use common sense and have a balanced approach. And I'm happy to talk to any of them. Um, But so far, I am not seeing that. Uh, I'm just not. And, And I'm shocked actually, cause it's just, it's not what it's like, just, it's, it's really, it's, a, it, it's, it's just not healthy for everybody. And if we really care about everybody and care about housing, we already have a fragile housing stock. We already have a ha- housing housing shortage, how this is productive. I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. No. Sorry to keep rattling on, but like, it's a really crazy time. And that's the biggest impediment besides a financial crisis, besides the help it's the government, the state of California and, and locally putting on more and more restrictive laws and, and taking away legal rights for a particular um, sick agenda Right. That, that no one benefits from.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It's like, you know, someone's agenda, it's such first level thinking and not second level. Like there's so many unintended consequences that end up hurting the people that you want to help.
1: As it's, a- it's gonna hurt that, look, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt like if a lot of these policy yeah. they stay there for the little guy. Two thirds of the housing providers are the little guy.
0: Right.
1: And they employ the little guy. They're the small business owners. And all the vendors that we use, those are the little guys. Yeah. And they employ people. So it just goes, it's this huge misconception and it just, it's a very convenient to me. I hate to say it in these terms. It just seems very convenient to me that they choose to ignore some of these things because at the end of the day, as a business person, if a, if a, one of your clients has a problem, you work with them. That's right. just what you do. It's not that complicated. Yeah. It's not, it's just its good business. That's just how you do business. Okay. You don't need to, some of these other things it's it's crazy to me
0: yeah 100 percent. and you know the the owners of the buildings have been vilified in this crisis and the best operators they're it's a partnership they have their clients they have their customers that you're working together with so
1: we need need those we need those clients they need us we all need each other we're in the same team
0: it's
1: crazy and so perhaps share
0: a little bit about what you've just experienced within your own you know Uh, properties and with your own communities for like working with tenants and you know the collecting from them and working together proactively with them through this crisis like how has that unfolded
1: for you what have you seen and experienced so I've seen most most I would say majority majority of our residents have been generally pretty darn terrific Uh, we've had uh, some obviously that um, have been impacted Mm -hmm. and you know and we work with them Yep. which we would always do That's not that's not like a complicated thing for us it's just how we do business yep. um what we've done is we um we wanted to also make sure our tenants were as healthy as possible and we were able to secure uh 10, plus disposable masks that we then distributed out to all of our residents nice. and, we, and we want for every household we give them a tremendous amount and we wanted to make sure that they had them available if they didn't have them. Um, and because we wanted to make sure that we gave them every opportunity to be safe as absolutely possible while they're in lockdown. Yep. You know, um, we had one, one resident who, so most of the residents were very happy, right? Cause it's, but these are our customers. You just do these things for customers. This isn't like complicated, right? Mm-hmm. This is what you do. And we had one resident, which I learned about, which was shocking to me. Was, they were not happy that we didn't get them the top of the line medical masks and they threw these masks at one of my staff members. That was shocking to me. Wow. Now, by the way, the top of the line medical masks that are out there, you can only give those to essential industries and only to, you can only have essential industry people using them and you can only have, and, only, and, and, and for example, frontline healthcare workers or people in the construction business. So we also donated several thousand to some of the hospitals as well. But that, that was to me was just kind of like a reminder of like, you know, you try to do the right thing. And then there are just some people who like, no matter what you do, it's, um, it's never good enough. And it's just, that to me is kind of sad. But at the same time, most people were very appreciative. We're, we're trying to do everything we possibly can uh, to work with any of our residents, we, we understand. Um, we also at the same time, uh, we have you know, our own staff that we have to pay and want to pay, um, we have not had layoffs, that's
0: right.
1: okay? Um, we also, at the same time, we, you know, we have to pay our mortgages, we have to pay our property taxes. We, by the way, some people say, we'll make comments, and they say, well, just go get the, just go get the mortgage payment, you know, go to the bank. You don't just go to the bank. Like, that's just not how it works. If the bank did that for everybody, the bank's out of business. Yep. And in part of our loan agreements, it says we have to pay, for example, property taxes. So it's not like there's any leeway for us. There's not. It's just it's a penny business, and so you know the mo- most most of our residents have been candidly have been really you know great to work with, um, and I would say like overwhelming majority. I hope that continues, um, and it just yeah it's been uh, it's been an interesting time period to see human behavior at all levels of society. Yeah. You know, these kind of things bring out human behavior, shows you who it accentuates who people really are.
0: absolutely and so speaking of like human behavior you talked about like your team and you have your own core values you know this is a challenging time for everybody you're in an industry that's impacted by this what have you been doing you know to you know maintain the culture at your company to keep people engaged and feeling good about showing up for work every day or working remotely what what's kind of happening internally
1: sure so once COVID came out we immediately told all of our staff members we said look we don't know how to analyze this whether how how big of a deal it actually is, but we're just gonna assume that it is. For anybody who wants to work remotely, uh, you're welcome to do so. My one ask is, if you're gonna do it, please do your best during that time period to really try to help them be as organized as possible. I would say that our staff has done that, which has been great, they've been really terrific. And then we have other people who come into the corporate office because we're in a central industry based on what we do. We're also in the middle of construction on a number of different projects, and we have other projects in the pipeline coming. So we're, you know, there's a handful of us who show up to work um, and are socially distancing and socially responsible and do all of those things. Um, So we're we're doing all the the stuff that you need to be doing. Uh, And I would say, generally speaking, our teams, frankly, they've stepped up. We have, you know, we have a basic model, which is, and and I I won't say we're perfect, but we do try 100%, which is do the right thing plus one. We've had that model for years. And then we also, we model our company culture after a book called The Ideal Team Player. What it talks about is people who are hungry, meaning wanna learn, people who are humble, not, not, not overly confident, it's okay to be confident, but don't be arrogant, right, so humble. Hungry, humble, right, and smart. And when we say smart, we don't mean necessarily smart in school, we mean common sense smart, that's what we look for. And we've had staff members in the past that were really talented in their specific role but they were really unpleasant to work with and even after being coached a number of times we just said you know what this doesn't work it doesn't fit our company model and and who we are as a company and and we let them you know they move on but most you know i'd say you know today i'd say i feel like generally yeah our staff does that it's all about helping each other it's about um we're all part of the same team and just keep doing the right thing the best that we possibly can again we screw up sometimes but I think, generally speaking, we're pretty like we're, we're pretty good. We're pretty consistent, and that's I'm really proud of that. Like really proud of that.
0: That's awesome. So, is the book "Ideal Team"? Is it called "Ideal Team Player"? Is that the book? Yeah, it's the, it?
1: the, yeah, it's called the "Ideal Team Player." It's an easy read. Um, it fits really well in an industry like ours. Our industry is what's called the gray collar industry. Mm-hmm. Blue collar and white collar combined means gray. So we have, uh, you know, our industry is interesting. We get an opportunity to work with people in all different walks of life. So it's super fascinating it's like a social experiment right And you get to see how you know it's not like one type of person gets into this industry it's all types of people right all kinds of backgrounds socioeconomic backgrounds, um, wh- whatever it may be. And so we have I mean in terms of like a, a slice of society, that's who the that's who we get to that's who, who we get to work with here at F properties. And we also get to do that with because of many of our customers as well. So it's a it's a and it's for, it's an industry for people who are service oriented, yep. um, and also at the same time who, who are rational, and actually care about other people and willing to you know willing to give back in one way or another and be service oriented you know givers. That's that's who gets into this industry and is successful. That's really who it is. Yep.
0: And obviously that comes from you your own in company as well. Like why did you get into this? Is, so you can be a giver, so you can help the communities more and more. Uh, that's the goal.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: That's yeah. incredible. So I guess two last like investment questions. I know you're busy. So I guess you know you left an industry that probably was very cyclical in the equipment leasing, like kind of feast or famine. And when it was good, it was really good. And then when the economy slowed down, there would be very little activity. I'm I'm speculating now. Do you view with like what's just happened recently and what's happening in California the risks? of investing in multifamily are different than previous or that yes. changing things and how so for you?
1: So, candidly, they're much more risky. You know, one thing is an economic environment that you deal with. That's already hard, right? You got a pandemic, a healthcare pandemic, yep. a health crisis, you have a financial crisis, even though they're not really calling it that, that is what it is. And then, I'm sorry to say, the non-balanced government regulations that are singling out an industry. What what's right about the housing industry is 99.9% of the housing providers. We are what's right about the industry, not what's wrong about the industry, but we're being chosen as boogeymen today for some crazy reason because it fits a certain agenda. And it's just not, it's not good. It's, it's, it's a blame, it's become like a blame type of a thing. And most of us are doing good things. Most of us are super low key people who just try to do uh, really good things as a whole. And so I think, I think I, I, candidly, if I were newer to the industry, I probably would not be making investments in California at this point. I just wouldn't. I would wait to see if common sense comes back, balanced common sense. In other words, what I'm saying is, people used to just think about it this is the industry and what i'm saying is it is the industry the business side of the industry but now there's a new reality which is the political side has now taken hold and so what i've always loved about california as a whole is that it's a purple state what that means to me red and blue combined makes purple so you get people who care about people and but are also thinking about how do we make sure that we have the proper things in place to have proper revenue, so we can have good schools, and we could, and we could have, we can employ people in kind of great job environments, so people can make money and start businesses and all those things. So a purple environment, in my mind, is the absolute critical thing that you want as a real estate player. In um, California, did have that. It seems to me that it no longer does at this present time, and until that, until that. Um, changes where it gets back into the center more for the good of everyone until that changes i would not advise anyone that wasn't super experienced be investing in california because i don't know what rights that one side with a particular agenda seems to have is going to try to take away Hmm. Um, by the way i wouldn't know another place to invest in i I would have never thought this was possible right I, i always viewed californian lawmakers and policy people as really intelligent, smart, balanced people. And I'm now saying to myself, I think we have some of those, but I think we have some of those who are really intelligent, but with a particular agenda. And I think uh, as leaders, we have to stand up and say, no, we all need to come together. When you to do something that's balanced, it's gonna work for the long term." Until I see that, I would not recommend a newer investor do anything in California. And, and I would even take it a step further. And I would say that it's not just, it starts with housing providers then it's going to go to, um, then it'll probably, and then it'll, so how's providers on existing product and on new construction. So okay. new construction will slow down how new existing stuff will get handicapped big time. Okay. If they don't lose the properties, yep. quite a few will lose the properties. It's going to be bad. Um, based on what's currently being contemplated. We'll know in May here we should know soon. Uh, then I would take it a step further and I would say that there's also, um, they're talking about doing split, split roll property tax. So in other words, you want to split prop 13. So a lot of people might say, Oh, well, I don't own commercial property. doesn't really affect me. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that if you don't own commercial property, you're right. But if you own property in California, it affects you because at some point they're going to come for you next. Right. What's going to happen. It's the history of the world. And it's the history of it's the history of how things start. For example, if you think back 2011, Governor Brown, during a financial crisis at the time, he had what's called the rainy day fund. He raised taxes on those who made the most amount of money, and it was supposed to be for for a period of time. I believe it was eight years. Yep. Okay, and he said, when we once we're done with this, it's going to sunset. Well, that's what I recall. Yep. and gosh darn it. Our rainy day fund not only filled, it became excessive. And what did they do? They extended it again. So what I'm saying is until we have balanced leadership as a whole throughout the state, we should all be very weary about anything right now. What's happening is there are people out there who have the ability because of their titles, have the ability to do certain things that are really dangerous do i believe the pendulum will swing back to the middle i do do i know when i don't i'm afraid that these people with this agenda are going to have to destroy things and all the regular the regular voter will realize it because they can't find jobs because there's no money circulating the system they can't find a decent place to live because no one can afford to upkeep the properties okay so i think it will eventually come back to reality i just hope it doesn't take a man or a, a man and woman or a legislative crisis to create that. That That's the thing that really worries me more than anything. That's the part that, that bugs the, the crap out of me. It's such a major issue today and people just aren't aware of it because they're they're so busy doing what they need to do. But if they take a step back and try to use common sense, they'll be like, wow, that does not seem right. But check it out, it's right. Yeah. Read the law, read what's being proposed. ABA eight. it's very dangerous for everybody. Yeah
0: man uh, no thanks for bringing that to light I appreciate it and so you, I guess last question you talked about if you're a new investor California wouldn't be the place you already have your own projects in the pipeline and investments that are under contract that you're working towards do you see what's happening now creating new investment opportunities that you didn't think about this crisis opening up new investment paths
1: uh, there, there's yeah there, there, uh, I don't know what they are at this point there's always winners and losers but So let's take it a step further. So somebody could say, well, you know, you should buy retail property because retail property has really gotten severely beaten down. And they're right. Here's the problem. Most retail property, the bigger ones can't survive because they can't afford the uh, the minimum wage. There's not enough margin in it. Mm. So then it's the smaller ones. Well, the smaller ones, small business owners, they just got decimated. Yep. So, do, for example, I would guess that probably at least a third, if not more, of all the restaurants we had pre-COVID, post-COVID, are not gonna be around anymore. And then some people say, oh, well, there'll be new ones that start. Well, yeah, there, there will eventually be new ones that start, yep. for sure, but uh, will they start in such a way? That they're going to be sustainable and successful. It's already a terribly hard industry. I don't know. And, and by the way, I'm not saying I'm not an advocate for minimum wage increases. I, I am when it makes sense. And and I think there has to be you know there has to be uh, clear thinking on that from a you know not just you have to really think through that decision. For example, you know independent contractors last year uh, that was outlawed. You can't do that anymore. Well, if you follow the job losses, quite a few already happened actually because of that. There's a lot of people who don't want to be told that they have to work for one company and the right. companies because of the cost can't afford. You know, most people don't understand, it's 35, 40% of every dollar goes to all this other stuff that you pay somebody, right? right? So, it's, so you can only do so much. Now, think about this, COVID, financial crisis, gonna be a very slow growth economy. The companies that do start or do hire people, they're not going to be able to bring people on full pay, full full bore, because they can't afford to. They don't have enough profit, and so people who were who are interested in working a couple of different jobs, like students, or you know, an Uber, a Lyft, a, um, a delivery person, uh, a writer, whatever, who works several different jobs, they can't get. They can no longer be employed because of this foolish law. Yeah. So all this government policy, people aren't like people need to take a step back and think about it that it has to be balanced policy. Hmm. That, that you cannot, you have to stand up as a voter and you have to speak your mind. And if you really, if you think you really care about people, what is wrong with somebody who wants to have, who's trying to make ends meet, that's a proud person that doesn't want to take employment unless they need to, that wants to go out and get a job. And if they have to, they take two or three jobs. That's someone who should be commended, not punished. Yep. So That, that part, it's, it's, it's government regulation is a major issue right now. Hmm more so than ever yeah. people, people will, people, unfortunately, I think people are going to realize it by the time it's too late and the people who are doing it. The thing I think about is they will be held accountable. They will be held accountable. The voters will, because the voters are not stupid. Yeah. They, they will figure stuff out and they'll go, Oh my God, I can't do this because of this. I can't do this because of that. I, that's not right. That doesn't make sense. And it's not like the, the policymakers have not been given the information they are choosing with a specific agenda some of them to continue on this path no one wins they they certainly won't i can assure you that they certainly won't none of us will
0: yeah awesome no thank you for all of your uh insight experience sharing i think you opened up a lot of investors eyes to things that they might not be thinking about because they're dealing with the immediacy of some of the issues right now and so but there's bigger Bigger trends at play that have far-reaching implications. So, um, awesome insights from you know how you're continuing to professionalize the company to the you know the value system in which you you started your business. So, yeah, thank you for your time and your sharing. And where can you find a little bit more about your properties or uh, the, your your company?
1: Well, sorry, what was the last part? Uh,
0: where where do people find more about like your properties or your your company? Uh, oh, uh...
1: I, uh, Google f and F f Frank ampersand Frank uh, uh, properties I, by the way I know I never really go on the website myself so I actually don't know what the web address is. I don't know what the URL is um, but uh, I, I know that'll come up and you can find out more about us uh, and um, yeah no th- th- thanks for uh, thanks for your time today and yeah. thank you for that thank you for the really relevant questions for today's time I was yeah. happy to be able to share some of it